Hello, Makers and Minnesota friends and fans. We have a whiskey dinner coming up featuring Keeper's Heart Whiskey made right here in Minneapolis at the O'Shaughnessy Distilling Company. Started by cousins and lifelong friends Patrick and Michael O'Shaughnessy, they both had a vision to make whiskeys worthy of their rich Irish-American heritage. Helmed by world-renowned master distiller Brian Nation, they set about building a state-of-the-art distillery in Minneapolis to produce world-class whiskeys and serve as a source of pride for their Irish community. At their distillery, the magic of whiskey making begins with three triple copper pots, where they make American whiskey in the traditional Irish triple distillation style. Their flagship offering, Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey, is the first whiskey to blend the very best of Irish and American distilling traditions to deliver a truly unique and remarkable taste experience. At this dinner, you'll taste each of the components that make up Keeper's Heart Irish Whiskey, paired with food courses prepared by Nick O'Leary, the Lexington's heralded chef. Like Makers of Minnesota's dinners in the past, I'll be hosting, but we'll be joined by O'Shaughnessy Distillery's master distiller, Brian Nation, who will walk us through each course and help us appreciate this American-Irish whiskey made right here in Minnesota. So join us February 15th at the Lexington for a post-Valentine's Day celebration with Keeper's Heart American Whiskey. We'll be the exclusive diners in the restaurant for the evening, and you'll mingle with me and toast your fellow whiskey lovers. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special night, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for their Makers of Minnesota Keeper's Heart Whiskey Dinner and Tasting on February 15th. Again, get your tickets now at thelexmn.com. Welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. I am here with Katherine Nelson, and she is the owner of a grain-free, I don't, do we call it granola mix? Yeah, just for the name association, the word association for granola. It's yeah. In the granola okay. section of the grocery store. It's cocoa, bee, and nut. And Katherine, I have so many things to talk with you about. First of all, I think I met you like... I don't know, maybe five years ago or so, right when you were getting started. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, well, that's kind of unusual to have like a grain free type granola, because if it's grain free, then what's in it. But then I tasted yours. And I think the first one I tasted was a blueberry lemon. Yes. Oh, boy, just Mm -hmm. so great. And I thought it's so delicious. And you can have it on yogurt and you can just eat it by the handful out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah. That's our best selling flavor. And uh, I started it because I was trying to help a friend find a lower carb breakfast cereal. And so when I started it, I mean, there weren't any, anything like grain-free granola on the store shelves. And then once I got it into a couple stores, I noticed that they were different brands were popping up everywhere, but essentially what it is, it's a, it's a mix of nuts and seeds and dried fruit and spices. And my particular mix emulates, I try to emulate it having oats in it. So I know there's a couple on the market that are like chunks or like bars, but mine is more like trying to be, um, act like it has oats with the sunflower seeds. So, yeah. And it's really, it has kind of like the same texture as like granola, but you can eat it by the handful out of the bag. Yeah. How I normally eat it. I don't know. So how did you know 
like, so you started this, how did you know that it was going to be something you could really like take to market other than just farmer's markets? Uh, I think I really learned that it was marketable because of farmer's markets. Uh, I started out at the Maple Grove and the Northeast farmer's markets for two summers and just got really great feedback from the people there. And um, I think that's how, I mean, at the very beginning, you know, my friends were like, you should really sell this. And I just had one flavor and um, so kind of from there, I just <laughs> gained the gumption to try to, to try it, you know, were you a nutritionist or what made you feel like you had the confidence to be in that space? So yeah, super humble. I learned how to make granola at a coffee shop job in St. Paul. I worked at coffee news cafe. I don't know if you, oh, ever yeah, went there. Sure. yeah, so that was, I loved working there. I worked there for three years and I learned how to make granola and it was fun because we were all allowed to make it however we wanted. And I was kind of a nerd. So I would like try to find the best mix of like, you know, where it would come together in a big clump, but then you could like crush it with your fingers. And uh, so I learned how to make the normal type of granola there. And then as the years went on, I kind of forgot about it. And my friend was just kind of looking at store shelves and not finding what she was looking for. And I was like, well, I'll just pull this out of my back pocket and see if I can make her something. And it worked. So yeah. What, what was your background or what were you doing before you decided to go full-time in Cocoa Bee and Nut? Um, so I, I was a communication studies major, electronic music production minor from St. Thomas. And then after college, I just I started out in the service industry and started traveling. So I, I didn't have a desk job or anything. I was kind of like, okay, I have the flexibility to, to try this. So I did. And Excellent. so in effect, worked. not like, this is like your first job kind of in effect outside of yeah. college. Yep. Pretty much <laughs> learning all along the way. <laughs> if you, if you were to look back is there like a point where something stands out where you were like, oh, if I would have done this, then this would have happened or I would have been able to move faster or be more nimble. Can you think of like anywhere along the way where you were at a crossroads? And I think, um, well, I always think about the fact that I'm just a one person show with this business. So I've had people help me along the way, but if I could have maybe found somebody who, um, was, you know, just as enthusiastic as me about moving forward with the business, I feel like we could have really, um, got gotten a lot more word out there about the business. So I think it's just grown very organically with, um, the demos that we do in stores. And, you know, my parents are a huge help to me. My dad's like my biggest promoter, my sales promoter at store demos. So would you still take on a collaboration like that? If it came your way, I would be open to it. Um, I, I feel like, you know, after all these years, it's been almost six years, you really see where you shine and where you don't. And so somebody who would be um, able to fill in all those little holes for me, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of holes do you see yourself having? Definitely sales and just kind of getting the name out there and social media help doing stuff behind the scenes with tech, like all the search engine optimizations. Yeah. And yep. Yeah, I did a whole thing this year with a product launch on Amazon where I did a multi-pack and 
the market for granola on Amazon is so saturated that it was such a challenge. It was just, you know, kind of putting all the effort into it and realizing that, you know, there are so many other granolas out there. So it's funny when you look at marketing your company or your brand or your product, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of great products out there, but sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, if people can't find you or they don't think of you as the first one in the category, you know, it's been really, really challenging for some of these local brands to compete at that level. And yeah, you can get on Amazon. It takes a long, a lot of work, but you can get there. Yeah. And money. And just because you're there doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to sell, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's challenging. Yeah. I think I've noticed this last year that um, a lot of the makers that I know that have been around for a while, it seems like they're doing more markets and they're really marketing more locally. And I feel like I've tried to do that, but I, I think in my mind, I thought, okay, well, I'll start at markets and then I'll just like go from there and leave markets, you know, and actually maybe it would be smarter because people do love buying local to just kind of go back to. I do think that has shifted because mm-hmm. when I I produced the Stone Arch uh, Festival and yeah. also Art in Bayfront Park up in Duluth. And when I started, and I started in 2017 was my first market that I did at Stone Arch. And mm-hmm. that was sort of the trajectory was I would find these brands and then they would sort of age out after like two years and be like, oh, I don't really do markets anymore. So it felt like it was this evolutionary process. Now, Because the marketing challenge is hard, because people aren't going out as much and leaving their homes, but then they're all of a sudden all this enthusiasm and excitement about events again and buying local. And it sort of got a little waylaid with Omnicrom, right? But there is all of a sudden this idea of, wait, I can still get face-to-face with my customers. This isn't necessarily, the, the step up isn't necessarily national, the step up might be just doing what I'm doing, but more of it and hiring more people. And yeah, so I am seeing that. And I think that's just due to the coronavirus pandemic and people having Mm -hmm. a hard time getting the word out about their products. I also, Mm -hmm. it's super interesting. I'm observing a lot of new entry people into the market, a lot of entrepreneurism again, that I haven't seen in a long time. A lot of people of color, a lot of people from diverse backgrounds bringing their products and different products to the market. But that also has an evolution too. And I usually see it in packaging. So people start out in a certain type of packaging. And then as they evolve, that packaging usually changes. And your packaging changed too, I noticed. It's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. But I did veer away from it being more of that craft, like, you know, people really like that, you know, where you're putting the labels on the bags and it looks like you handmade it. And um, so I knew going in that I was taking that step to try to market it to a bigger audience. Yeah. Because there's just some packaging that doesn't work well in an Amazon situation or yes. um, are there, when you go out and about are there other uh, brands that you've seen or people that you like to work with or that when you end up at a booth next to them, you're like, yes. Yeah, I would say. Um, so I started out at uh, City Food Studio in Minneapolis and immediately became friends with Natasha from Isidore Nut Company and Janita from Janita's Jar and uh, Angela from Gastola Granola. Um 
And so, I mean, we've kept in touch throughout the years and uh, I just visited Janita at her Dayton's show um, and she's doing really well. Uh, And then uh, last year I was part of the Minnesota Hero Snack Pack and there was like 15 vendors. So I got to know people that way too. And Thumbs Cookies kind of um, managed all of that. And um, yeah, we have a really great community in Minnesota. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I hope you don't get waylaid by me asking you this next question, but I've noticed, uh, because I follow you on LinkedIn and Facebook, that you've taken a step into the world of voiceover and voice production. And I'm very curious about that. A hundred years ago, because I never Mm -hmm. had any formal broadcast training, but a hundred years ago, I took a class at the community college by a guy that helped you put a reel together and Um, so I've noticed that you've gone through that process. What is it about this type of work that is exciting to you? Uh, so I, I've been in music for my whole life. I started out in like cherub choir at Mount Olivet when I was like five. Oh, I love Mount Olivet. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. So I was like in all those choirs and then, um, you know, kind of just, really wanted to be in music. And in college, I really wanted to figure out like how I could get into the music scene somehow. And, um, and then kind of just like I was in a couple bands and then I walked away from it. And, um, and then I thought maybe, maybe it's COVID. Maybe that's why people are starting all these businesses now, but it was kind of like, I just, you know, I saw this ad in a community ed magazine for a voiceover webinar. And I was like, I'm totally doing that. And, um, the, the person hosting it was part of this school. And so it, it seemed like something that was doable where you could actually make a career out of it. And I love sounds. I love music. I do have like a minor in production. So I, so it just feels like coming back home, you know, it's like, this is what I went to school for. And it has taken me like over 15 years to get back to it. So are you applying, like, there's this whole industry of people that like do book reading and audibles and yeah, is that like an area that you're interested in? Yeah, I actually uh, just auditioned and finished my first audio book. Um, it is a children's book. It's seven minutes long, and uh, it's called Charlie's Ark. If anybody's interested in checking it out, um, it's about a little boy who um, he's kind of like has savant syndrome. So he goes into a coma and he wakes up and he can paint and he paints all these animals. And um, so, yeah, so I've been trying to do that, but also. I would say the voiceover community is very similar to the food community in Minnesota where everybody just wants to help each other out. There's all these like Facebook forums and, you know, you can ask the dumbest questions and people will give you like 15 responses and not think you're dumb at all. So, um, so I love it. Yeah. It's fun. And do you see that this is a type of opportunity that you can balance with Coco B and nut and kind of do both? I'm going to try, uh, and I want to try to use what I know to create ads for Cocoa Bean Nut. Um, it's kind of fun to be, to try to think of, you know, how I could be imaginative and making little commercials or 30 second reels or something. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Well, it's yeah. exciting to talk to you. If there are any new makers that are listening, is there any like advice that you have, uh, for them? I know packaging is a big one. Commercial kitchens are, we're really, there's, we're down commercial kitchens. 
Yeah, I would say, okay, so if you're a gluten-free product, I'm currently at the um, Maplewood Gluten-Free Kitchen called Water's Edge, and there's a lot of new makers there, and it's a really great community. And I would just say, keep on talking to your food neighbors, uh, because that's where you're going to learn the most. And generally, people love to talk and learn, because as you talk, and you know, I've been in this for this long and people come to me for advice, but I learn just as much from them as they do from me talking about our opportunities. Cause there's so much in Minnesota, you know? And yeah. it is, it is weird. Like when I first started in my own business many years ago, I was like, Oh, I don't want to tell anyone my secret sauce. And I realized mm-hmm. that there is no secret sauce. Anyone mm-hmm. can do it. Anyone mm-hmm. can do lots of things. And actually the more you share, the more you gain And that the idea of like holding back doesn't really help you. It doesn't allow people to trust you or be vulnerable to share the really good stuff, which is where the breakthroughs come. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like I share a kitchen with another grain-free granola maker and it's uh, granola me, please. She's at markets. Her name's Angie and she's a doll and we, we trade suggestions for each other. Yeah. Are there any other people at your kitchen that you want to call out in your gluten-free kitchen? Um, so there's uh, international gourmet, which does, uh, grain free cookies and she's from Sweden. So she, her name's Chila and, um, she does amazing products. Uh, she's also part of the market wagon program that is like a online farmer's market for local people to buy from. And then sailor mercy does elderberry syrup and pure ginger for you is a really great juicing company. Then they make fresh juice at all the markets. So. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, it's been great to talk to you. I will be releasing this podcast in the January timeframe when a lot of people are thinking about nutrition and health and eating better. So I figured you'd be a great person to kick us off. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Catherine. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Stephanie. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.